0: From Social Service She, I'm Jing Yao, co-hosting this episode with Samantha as part about the future of mini-series. With Chen Weiwen, the founder of iVisor, which offers eye care education to companies and the public, we chat about the three big ideas on the future of eye care and eye health. First, the shift from treatment to prevention. Second, the role of tech-powered prescription checks. And third, the personalization of eye care. Wei Wen, welcome to the podcast, right? So maybe to start, tell us a little bit more about iVisor and the work you do to support and provide eye care education in Malaysia and in Singapore.
1: Sure. So I started iVisor uh, more than two years ago, just actually before covid And it's dedicated to advancing eye health through 360 degrees eye care. And what we do is we do a lot of talks and webinars for the corporates, for the public. We screen for eye diseases through our mobile optical service, and we fit eyeglasses as well. So we go to workplaces and homes, bring out possible equipment, and optometrists lead all these services. We also have a network of 40 optical stores and eye clinics in Singapore and Malaysia. And with this, we can provide that 360 degree eye care with comprehensive eye exams, consultations with ophthalmologists, optometrists, as well as treatment for eye conditions in our way. So anything and everything we need, we have them. Yeah. So we also have online solutions, right? And they're available on our website. Actually, right now they're free. So we give free online visual equity test that you can take with just a mobile phone and laptop, you know how well you see. We have teleconsultations with optometrists as well and even tools to assess child's risk of myopia onset, progression in kids, what frame and lenses to go for you and so on.
0: Achoo. And it wouldn't surprise the listeners and wouldn't surprise me that I imagine the work is something that's really personal to you as well. You told us about iVisor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So like, how did you get started? And tell us a little bit about, more about your story and how you got started with iVisor.
1: Sure. Thank you. Uh, I think there are two aspects. There's the professional and a personal angle to it. So the personal angle is that I actually was only just 13 when my father came home one day and said, I'm actually going for an emergency operation the next day because I'm going to go blind from retina detachment if I don't, right? And then I was like, what's that? Don't know what that was, right? And then I found out that basically it's an eye disease that, that can just come, right? Very suddenly, you know, you have blurry vision. And he went to an optician, his regular optician, who told him that it's not your glasses There's a problem. It's actually something to do with your eyes. And thankfully, mm-hmm. he saw the specialist and he got operated and, and he can see well today. Now, mm-hmm. when I became a mother a few years ago, it dawned upon me, right, that what if he had gone blind? He wouldn't be able to see my children, Right. And, and those, you know, I mean, those kind of like, I would say, realizations are something that that make me feel, you know, that there is more to, you know, life than just, you know, trying to earn more money and for other people. Right. But this is something that can change generations, right, of lives and the quality and can impact the quality of life if you just manage to detect eye diseases early and get treated. So the professional aspect is that I actually started working by a stroke of fate for the world's largest eye spectacle lens manufacturer. It's called Essilor, And I started in 2013. At that time, I was actually joining a newly created department to create what they call new spectacle wearers among people who have never worn glasses before. So people who have never worn glasses before are generally those who you know, less. You know, maybe you know less educated and have less resources, right? And maybe in 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 um more inaccessible places. So our job was: how do we get eye care to them where there's nobody who can even give them a prescription, no shop that sells eyeglasses, but right? and they don't even know they need them. So this was the kind of context in which I I, I learned you know what the importance of of building what we call primary vision care infrastructure is. So, you know, I saw how, you know, we worked with hospitals, we worked with local entrepreneurs on the ground to do, you know, prescription checks, fit reading glasses. We got pharmacists involved, local communities. So, and this was really done in the face of what we call inclusive business. So it's not charity. It's actually trying to make it sustainable by trying to sell affordable glasses and making it a sustainable business, even though the, the margins are not that high, because we will sell glasses for much cheaper. So a lot of the inspiration for my mobile screening service today came from that, because obviously those were mobile services. And what's what's interesting for me is that in a village or you know a setting where people say, okay, I don't need eyeglasses because I can live with them and I, I just get my daughter-in-law to sew or cook for me because I can't read it I can't see the ingredients I can't see the thread what's interesting is when I started this business even in Singapore we have loads of people who are in denial that they do need something right be it treatment for their eye condition eye disease or just you know getting a pair of glasses there's so much resistance right and it's just amazing how there's no difference and it's not necessarily about the amount of money they have Know, but just maybe some form of like you know psychological barrier to, to seeking help. So my favorite story is a real estate agent who lived in a condominium right and obviously he had more than enough money to buy a pair of glasses and his wife brought, brought him to us because we were serving his neighbors and then he got a pair of reading glasses. So when I finally delivered that pair of reading glasses to him, he looked at his palms with his reading glasses and said, I had never seen so many wrinkles on my palms before. <laughs> and he was 52, you know? So he yeah. should have gotten reading glasses when he's about 40, yeah. when pressed biopia or what they call Lao hua yin hits. Yeah. And so he's delayed it for more than
0: Yeah. I think that context of the personal and the professional is really important because. You know, that helps to understand the the angle of where we're going today, because we did chat a little before recording this episode today. And we invited you to think about and help us conceptualize the big ideas revolving around the future of eye care and eye health. And you did us the favor of coming up with three big ideas, all of which feel really significant, right? So first is shifting from treatment to prevention. Second, how technology-powered prescription checks will shape or reshape the role of eye care professionals going forward. And third is about um, eye care professionalization. So let's take them you know, one by one and, and invite you to expound upon one of them, uh, each of them turn, in, in turn. right? So take us through the first big idea, which is this shift from treatment to prevention.
1: Yeah, sure. Thank you. Now, first of all, I just want to say that these are all my personal views. They are not associated, you know, with any organization, you know, they're part of. So, I mean, you know, as I mentioned in my personal kind of story, right, vision is really something that most of us take for granted until we lose it. And uh, you may be surprised to know that there are 1.8 billion people who are projected to suffer from some form of vision loss by 2050. Right. And this is an increase of 55% or 600 million more people who are going to suffer vision loss over the next 30 years. And this is an estimate by the International Association for the Prevention of Blindness. The need to go upstream, right, to detect eye diseases early is really important at two levels. One, obviously it will be a huge strain on hospitals and clinics if we don't move fast enough, right, to help people understand that they need to go for regular eye checks and not delay Treatment or detection because they they don't know or they don't want. And secondly, of course, at the individual level, you're talking about you know loss in quality of life and also obviously you know what what are all the resulting impact of you know loss in productivity, income, and, and impact on their family members as well. So there is actually an estimated number of 9 out of 10 people who do not do regular eye exams today. Now, this estimate comes from our own screenings, right? And our own surveys when we ask people, have you done one before? And most of the time, people will say yes, but actually what they mean is they've done a prescription check, which is what most of us know, right? Get your eyeglasses 200 degrees or what they call two diopters. But what that is not, that's not actually... An eye exam, right? An eye exam actually involves checking the internal structure of your eye, your eye pressure. There's such a thing as eye pressure, not just blood pressure, right? And there's um, your corneas, your iutes, your retinas, your optic nerves. How healthy are they, right? In in fact, it is painless, non-invasive. It can be as short as 15 minutes and it can save your vision, especially for eye diseases that have no symptoms in their early stages. Glaucoma is one such example of a blinding eye disease. means there's no no cure. It can be managed, right? But of course, the earlier you detect, the better. A few people actually came forward to share with me that their own parent, right, either already lost the sight or is in the process of losing their sight, like, you know, left with 20% or 5% vision as a result of detecting their condition too late. So, you know, this whole thing about getting a health check, right? Just like the health screening is really, really critical.
0: Yeah. And that's that's illuminating for me as well, because I'm learning from you the distinction between prescription check and eye exam. Because you're right, I think most people like myself, we would think that, oh, I I get, you know, my my glasses checked regularly as well, you know, but the eye exam is something that I think um, I'm learning for for the first time as well, which which I think is something that's not talked about enough. Yeah.
1: So you could have actually a perfect vision, right? And still have eye diseases, right? So that's, you know, that's one of the, the scary things.
0: And it's kind of normalizing the process because we do the same for other body parts as well, right? Imagining, you know, this is something that feels should be normalized, right? Now I'm thinking... You know, in terms of uh, different forms of cancer as well. If there's a lump, you you, you self identify it in different body parts. I imagine like the concept is exactly the same for analogous to eye yeah, exam. Yeah.
1: Well, the challenge is just that for the eyes, it's more gradual typically, unless for very sudden cases, right? And so people kind of don't really realize it unless like you have like you have chest pain, or you know you know it's your chest is pain. You can't you can't you can't delay it.
0: Yeah, and that's helpful because that's helping us understand that first big idea, which is the importance of, of prevention, right? From from treatment to prevention. I think that also links to the second big idea you have, which is how tech-powered prescription checks will reshape the role of eye care professionals going forward. We talked about the distinction between prescription checks and eye exams, but tell us about the role of technology in, in, in prescription checks for, for professionals.
1: So in most countries today... Well, even in Singapore, right? We go to an optical store, we go to a clinic, we go to a hospital to check a prescription and also eye health in some cases. What is maybe less known is that we are, we actually have, not we, but there is actually a company, right? It actually was from Israel. It has actually produced a medical grade app that can give an accurate enough prescription online simply using a smartphone and the app. And then there are many other apps already available that can measure the current power of your glasses. So you technically don't even need to leave the house to you know, get your prescription checked, try on frames online, you know, and purchase eyeglasses without you know, needing to see anyone at all. In terms of eye health, there are also a lot of innovations in terms of either cheaper, more portable devices right, that can detect eye conditions. Such as a, you know, uh, what we call a, you know, very small tonometer that can measure your eye pressure, and it's very useful for glaucoma patients because obviously when their eye pressure is high, you know, they can have certain issues. So it helps them to self-monitor. In terms of the app I talked about just now that can give you a prescription online, some countries such as the UK and Australia already allow it. as long as uh, the prescriptions are validated ultimately by eye care professionals. And they they have ring-fenced it to only healthy individuals within a certain age group. You cannot have high myopia, you cannot be a kid, you cannot have pre-existing eye health conditions. So that helps to keep it kind of safe. So I think that that there is really a lot of potential for such solutions to to, create, I would say, game changers. And it's not just for the developed world, which would be, you know, more about convenience. But if we talk about the developing world, which I kind of mentioned a little bit about in my previous work, that I can honestly tell you from what I've seen, you know, traveling to the villages that are like seven hours at least away from the city, it makes a huge difference. Imagine, you no longer have to train, you know, people to become opticians, right, and rely on on their professionalism. You can actually have devices. You have data. You have smartphone. You actually can, you know, give prescriptions to children who would otherwise actually grow up not learning well because they can't see, right? And adults with certain, you know, prescriptions they need just for reading glasses. Right? So so simple things like this can actually make a huge difference to to people, especially who live on less than ten, you know, dollars a day.
0: And it's it's and and I, I see I, I mean I, I hear you when you talk about tech power right you're talking about the apps you're talking about devices you're talking about telehealth or forms of telehealth and yeah. these are things that again, unsurprisingly, mirror and parallel healthcare developments as well. And so yeah, I think you alluded to it briefly, but there might be some resistance from users and professionals as well, but it seems like the logical extension of it. And there's so many opportunities as you've spoken of that are already in motion in the different countries also, which is I think important.
1: Yeah. Of course, the challenge here, right, is that eye care professionals are at the center of it all. Right, and while I am not, you know, one, I'm not an eye care professional by training. I've worked with many right ophthalmologists and optometrists in in my professional career as well as in my business, and I see, you know, I see that point, right? That of course they want it to be as accurate. You know, for example, they'll say the lighting, the lighting in the exam room matters to the prescription, right? There's a lot, a lot of different, you know, kind of like, I would say very strong, you know, opinions around it. And at the end of the day, right, I think it will evolve because there will be huge consumer demands, right, who say, look, I don't want to travel, you know, especially in countries that are very epic and also accessible. I don't want to travel, you know, hours just to go to a store to get a prescription check. In fact, in some countries like France, you have to you can only get a prescription for an ophthalmologist and you have to wait sometimes even like, believe you're not years, right? If you have, if you're on welfare and you can't do private, you know, there's a lot of, lot of waiting time. So imagine if someone could just get it, you know, online then the role of eye care professionals will have to evolve and regulators will have to keep up with it. So what's, what's interesting is, for example, in some countries in the West who, uh, who have normalized the, the, what we call the online, you know, prescription, you know, solution, they have been uncomfortable with having the eye care professionals in their own country to validate these prescriptions. So There are actually apps like these where they have approached us and said, can your optometrist in this country validate a prescription from that country? You know, because the governments in that country doesn't allow it. So so it's fascinating how regulators are just trying to get around it. But I really think it's going to change in maybe five years.
0: And then as part of the evolution as well, you talked about the professionals. I think this links us and takes us quite nicely to the third big idea, which is the personalization of eye care. And I imagine a big group here would be the users themselves, the end users themselves, right? Who, whom the um, professionals to communicate with. So tell us a bit more about this final big idea on the personalization of eye care.
1: Yeah, this is actually a really exciting one. I mean, I I personally am very, you know, excited about this because, you know, if you think about a traditional experience of going to a, a hospital, right? For an eye health check, going to an obstacle, op- optical store to buy glasses, there's only so much you can look forward to, right? Okay, waiting in a queue for your number, trying on frames, right? And then figuring out, asking your friend or your family, hey, do I look good in this? And then, you know, going, coming back a few days later to collect it. It doesn't really that much change beyond, okay, this is a new design. Oh, great. You know, now it's round. Last time it was square. You know, maybe we'll go back. So imagine, right, if you actually... Before you even step into the store, you already have been on a website or an app that took a picture of your face and ran through millions of frames in stores near you and gave you a recommendation of 10 frames that are best suited for your face shape. And not just that, but they already knew your lifestyle and your preferences, right? Because you may say, wait, I like round frames. I don't care whether it's suitable for my face shape. But it takes into account all of these subjective preferences, objective features, and actually gives you a recommendation, tells you which store to get them. And so by the time you walk into a store, you already know what you should try. So instead of blindly choosing and not sure where you should start, you know, trying on frames, you already have that. In terms of prescription check, right, imagine you already had your prescription records downloaded in your app and you had, you know, done that eye check, prescription check in your your home and you already have a prescription ready. You only need perhaps the eye care professional in a store to do a five-minute, you know, validation of that. So just changing the whole experience totally. There are other solutions, right? It could be linked to it. For example, oh, how do we track how good your eye health is on a daily basis, right? So imagine a Fitbit for eye health. Checking your screen time, your lifestyle, your nutrition and giving you advice on a daily basis like, oh, you don't like to wear sunglasses? Okay, fine, then please run in the morning because if you don't protect your eyes from UV rays, then your your eyes age prematurely, which can cause cataract, right? So that's one part of uh, what I call personalization to your preferences and your lifestyle. The other one is the professional, right? Himself or herself. It could be an optometrist. It could be an ophthalmologist. But he or she is no longer tied to your favorite store or clinic. eh? But he is tied to you, right? Irregardless of where he moves. And like your family doctor who knows your medical history, lifestyle preferences, he or she can put, it can be best equipped to serve you and your family's specific eye can needs. For example, oh, your child is seven and he already has, you know, myopia of say 50 degrees or 0.5 diopters. What should your son, you know, do in terms of lifestyle? What should your son wear in terms of eyewear to slow down his progression? Your parents, they are 60. Is it time for their cataract surgery? Should they start wearing sunglasses to delay the onset of, of cataract? And for yourself, if you're in your 40s, you know, how should you slow down the aging of your eyes? What are some supplements you could take, right? And, and this eye care professional would be aided by, you know, some wearables, machine learning, other recommendations they have, you know, so there's so much you can do. It's just endless.
0: Yeah. And that feels like, and that, that user-centricness, that professional-centeredness feels like a good way to kind of bring it back to where we started with, which is talking about Eye Advisor, right? And I... And bearing these three big ideas in mind about prevention, about tech enabling, and about the, uh, personalization, how do you see or where do you see iAdvisor in the next five years? And it's the next five is a bit challenging, but I guess, what about in the next 50 years? So not just in the next five years, but in the next 50 years in that sense.
1: You know, that's a, a trillion dollar question.
0: Yeah, I know. Um, it's not the fairest question, but I'm pushing you to kind of think about not just five years, but 50 years down the road also. Yeah. Five
1: years is a lifetime you know, in a startup life. If I were to put a crystal ball, I would imagine iVisor being a choice platform, right? A platform of choice where consumers and eye care professionals can come, right? And get them, their needs, you know, addressed, they covered. Adults and children take charge of their eye health. Eye care professionals engage the cust- their customers on what they offer. And 50 years, even longer, right? Maybe by then, eye exams will be done remotely there will be uh, eyewear. Will be something where people kind of design and build. Maybe print their own frames. You know, you don't even need to go to a store to get them anymore. And maybe eye care professionals will have shifted from doing just routine eye exams to focusing on, you know, their clinical skills for on just the most complex cases. And their, their value is more of on lending a professional advice with their customers. And most importantly, we don't know where visor will be. But if a business has to survive, it will have to evolve and meet the dynamic needs of its consumers, the stakeholders, be it 5, 20 or 100 years.
0: Yeah. And it's something, and it's a fairly young endeavor. You mentioned, you know, you started when, that was when COVID was, was a huge thing about two years ago. You know, some of your work we mentioned has been in Malaysia. And part of the curiosity I always have is that, you know, Malaysia is really close geographically to Singapore, but, I imagine you know that that two plus one plus years of lockdown and not being able to go across the crossway. Uh, what were some of the challenges and, and impact or, or, or effects of the of the pandemic?
1: Yeah, no, this question is actually really really pertinent, right? I mean, when I first started, I thought, wow, you know, the whole idea of building a network of optical stores and I can exist easily and to other countries, even without having to travel, because all you need, a Zoom call, and you get things done. On and supply side, right? Be it onboarding of the clinics and um onboarding companies, right? Where we would provide corporate offers, I care offers, to both are actually very challenging when you don't know that and you can't see them, right? So important simple things like oh, we needed a Malaysia contact number. I had to trouble someone right from my alumni network to actually buy and post a sim card to me i you know couldn't travel to partner stores that i some of them whom i didn't know and just trying to send like 10 whatsapp messages even in a group right that no one knows me is just really really hard so, yeah, I mean, there's nothing that can replace, you know, face to face contact.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's growing pain, right? I imagine this has been, I mean, it's a short few years, but I mean, that's so much. I imagine there's a great deal of learning and evolution involved as well. I guess my final question and and, and it's our favorite way of asking this question, right? Which is knowing what you know now through all your years of experience, what is one thing you'll tell a younger self that was just starting out on her journey, right? And I'm asking this question in the context of you sharing that Yes ivisor is about two, two plus years old, but really you've been in the sector for a very long time. and so you know how have you been personally shaped by your involvement and if you could, could meet your younger self, what would you tell her and then you know educate her and tell her what you've learned over the, uh, over the past years or decades?
1: Yeah, you know this is, this is really an amazing question because sometimes when you think you've learned something, then you realize you actually haven't. Right, because there are always other things like blind spots, right? You miss out, and and, and every job, be it a business or a job, you know, there are different kinds of blind spots. So I I really struggle to put one, right? Because I have a few learnings, right? The first is patience, right? Patience to last the marathon. My last ex-boss said to me before, he said, because I was in an internal change management role, he said. When you can't move mountains in a day, and at that time, I I didn't want to accept it. I was like so indignant and thinking like, no, I can, right? But now I kind of agree, and it's it's hard. Obviously, the second thing is really not to be stuck, right, emotionally or too attached to any of the so-called projects or business models or types of things you know that you like to do. Because I think that that is probably one of my problems. When I like something, I will do it a lot. And I don't care or think about whether it makes sense for me to, to do that, whether it's scalable or not, right? So it's really about being honest, right? If it's not working, then change it, even though that may not feel something that's, that's you know, kind of like the best or the right thing. So it's like, it's like listening more to the head than the heart sometimes.
0: And it's interesting because I—I I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll probably give you the final word. It's not my area of expertise, but we've done this mini series for some time, and I think, in thinking of reflecting your personal experience and thinking about the three big ideas, I think you are one of few who have been able to cohesively put together three big ideas that make sense, that make intuitive sense to me, and I think it's not something that. I pay attention to all the time, but I think it's something that will evolve over time and it's something that I've learned a lot from today as well. So I very much appreciate you coming on to share with us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Zinya. I really appreciate the opportunity as well.
0: Thank you. Have a good one. And all the best with ivisor. All the best.
1: Thank you.